Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. I get the opportunity to get to share God's word with you this morning, continuing our series that we're calling Membership for the Mission. Now, I'll probably knock this over, so I'm just going to scoot this over real quick. And can I ask, if we can just put the highlights up a little bit, I'd love to be able to see people a little bit as I talk with you all. There you are. Hi again. Now I can see you. Well, I'm excited about uh, what we're going to be doing over the next uh, several weeks, basically for the rest of September and October, walking through this idea of what does it mean to be committed as a member within a local church, or even more specifically, here at Cornerstone. I loved what Todd shared with us last week. This idea that God's mission to redeem creation through his son Jesus has always been carried out through local committed relationships. The bigness of the plan plays out on that small scale of everyday lives of learning to be disciples who make disciples. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're going to start to really unpack what we mean, how we understand this idea of local committed relationships at Cornerstone. And it all centers around this idea of discipleship, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. Now, as you came in this morning, how many of you guys saw one of these on your chair? These are our, our membership booklets, hot off the presses. They just came in this week. Um, super excited to walk through these with you over the next few weeks. I would encourage you, take this home with you. Begin to read it carefully, prayerfully. Bring it, stick it in your Bible, bring it back with you next Sunday because we'll be referring to it. If you didn't have one, if there weren't enough on your seats, please feel free to just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring it by for you. Um, we also have it available on our website. You can just go to cornerstonesemi.com, click about membership, and you'll see a link to the PDF version of your membership booklet. So if you prefer to just have that on your phone, you can find it there as well. But again, our plan over the next couple of months is to really walk through together as a church what it means to be committed to one another and then to start to step into that commitment together through this thing we call membership. But the main thing I want you to hear right now at the beginning of this morning is let's not rush this. Let's not rush this. Take your time. Pray. Ask questions. Talk to one of us if there's something that you don't understand. Our, our goal truly is to bring clarity and consistency to the way that we walk people into membership, which if you've been around Cornerstone for a while, you know is something that we've desperately needed. But it's going to take some work. And our goal is not just to make it clear how to walk people into membership, but to make it personally. And that means not only is it going to take work, it's going to take time. So please be patient with, it, with us. And if you have questions, please let us know. Our goal is to reduce assumptions of what it means to be committed to one another as a local church. Because we all know, we've all learned, especially over the last year, what assuming does to you and me, right? Okay. So please be patient with us. Please be prayerful. I would also say, please, I hope, be excited. I know I am. I, I think the, the vision that we've set for this commitment as a local church is beautiful. It's really cool. It's something worth giving your life to. And it all, again, comes back to this main idea of being and making disciples. As we'll see in later weeks, a key part of the commitment of membership also includes this relationship between members and the elders, these, these men who give oversight to over the church as people who will have to give an account. So one of our hopes during this series is to give you an opportunity to get to know those of us who serve as your elders a little bit more. Last week, you got to hear from Mike Steinwender, which was so cool to see. I, those, I didn't even know that about your life, man. It was so cool to get to hear the work that God's done in your life. And today, at the end, after I, I speak, uh, John Reed's going to come up and get to share a bit of his testimony with us as well. But for now, where I want us to start, this is the starting point for everything with membership. Go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, you can find it on your phone, on, on a Bible app on your phone, or with a physical Bible if you have it. We'll be jumping around to several different passages. What I'm trying to do with you this morning is kind of skip the rock across the top of the main idea of what we believe it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it all starts, everything's based off of what Jesus says here in Matthew 28. I'm going to have this one up on the screen for us as well. Starting in verse 16. 
Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is after Jesus has died and risen again. And Jesus told them through the angel that spoke to them when he rose, go to Galilee and wait for me there. So they go to Galilee, they go to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Or sometimes you, can, you could look at it and say, they worshiped him with doubting. They're going, this is amazing, Jesus. We are amazed at who you are. We worship you, and we don't fully understand it. You ever felt like that? That's the Christian life. I think Jesus is amazing. I will give my life for him. I, will do, I want to follow what he says, and I haven't quite fully figured him out. Because he's the infinite creator, God, the son, second person of the Trinity. We will spend all of forever getting to know this Jesus. It's amazing. But he says this, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm king of everything. I rule over all, all that you can see, all that you cannot see. I rule. Go, therefore, or perhaps a better way to translate it, therefore, as you go about your life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I heard this morning we've got someone who's going to go through the waters of baptism with us this morning, which is amazing, but this is a key part of discipleship, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what's known as the Great Commission where Jesus commissions, he gives his people their marching orders. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them to observe what I've said, and I'm with you in this till the end of the age. This is the mission of the church, to make disciples of all nations. Later on in Acts chapter one, verse eight, a similar version of this same conversation, Jesus says, I want you to witness for me, starting right where you are, begin in Jerusalem, and then to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Again, this global mission to make disciples plays out locally through committed relationships. But the reason that I started with you in verse 16, rather than we typically start in verse 18, is I want to point out something to you that I think is really key. Who is Jesus talking to when he gives the commission to make disciples? He's talking to disciples. Okay, this is, uh, this is a really hard thing to understand. No, it's really not. This is one of those duh Christian moments, right? Whose job is it to make disciples? Disciples. Okay, easy to understand. How does that play out in our lives? If you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus... You have a responsibility to seek to make disciples of others. The two go hand in hand. That's the starting point for everything else that we're going to talk about, about membership over the next several weeks. The Great Commission is not only the call to make disciples, it's the call to be disciples who make disciples. The job of making disciples is given to disciples. The way we put it in the membership booklet on page 11, I'll just pull a quote for you, is this. If you want to know what our heart is, it's not special privileges, it's not a special name tag or those really cool jackets that some of us wore in the 80s, members only jackets. Membership at Cornerstone is the commitment to be a disciple and to make disciples of others in partnership with the other members and elders of Cornerstone. This is what all believers in Christ are called to do. But we think that there's something really healthy about spelling out specifically what it means. And then not just spelling it out, but then explicitly committing to that together as a local church so that we can work together toward this goal and hold each other accountable to this goal. But let me say this to you. If being and making disciples is as foundational to what it means not to just be a member of Cornerstone, but to be a Christian, then it's probably pretty important that we understand what that word disciple means. Because again, we know what assuming does to you and me. And if we assume we have, a, we assume we have a proper understanding of what it means to be and make disciples, and we don't, 
Or perhaps I say that word and you have one picture in your head, but I have a different picture in my head. And then we say, let's do this together. We're going to go, hold on, why are you trying to do that? We're supposed to do this over here. There's something so healthy about coming onto the same page and saying, this is what we believe it means to be a disciple. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. This was actually a really fun um, little project that, that some of our staff, our, our pastors did over the course of COVID. I remember it was early on because it was over Zoom. We had this great conversation where we just threw out, what does it mean to be a disciple? And uh, I think someone was, we were all taking notes, just compiled this whole list of everything that people mentioned based upon what we see in the New Testament, but what it means to follow Jesus. And then there was a team of about four or five of us that were tasked to take that whole big list and try to organize it, synthesize it, boil it down and say, okay, what if we had to sum it up in something that's memorable, something, a, a list that we can take and put in our back pockets, what would it be? It was such a great uh, process, and it was really fun. And I just want you to know, some of us, you know, we're, we're also, as a church, still kind of in the midst of processing the departure of Chris and Terry, because we loved them, and we loved the time we had with them. And I guess I just want you to know off the front end, they were part of these discussions. This definition of discipleship we put together has their fingerprints on it, too, even though at the time we didn't realize that they would be moving on from us. But one of the key verses that was the starting point for us as we thought about what it means to be a disciple was what Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is day one with Peter and Andrew. Jesus calls them to leave their nets behind and come with him. And here's what he says to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a good starting point in understanding what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says, follow me. A disciple follows Jesus. But then he also says, I will make you something. The disciple doesn't seek to stay the way that they are. We are seeking to work, to participate with Jesus in what he wants to make us into. It's about transformation as we follow Jesus. And then what he says at the end, I want to make you fishers of men. He's speaking to literal fishers of fish. And he says, I'm calling you to a different mission, a different task, a different job. Help me gather people instead of fish. Follow because I want to transform you because there's a mission for us to accomplish together. Does that make sense? That's our starting point. Discipleship. Okay, we're following Jesus because we're seeking transformation, change from him and there's a mission that he's called us to accomplish. And starting from there and looking at the rest of it, here's kind of the, 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 the definition that we kind of put together as what will guide us here at Cornerstone. Now, as I share this definition with you, you'll see this in the membership document on, on page 12. Understand, we're not saying this is the only definition of discipleship, not even saying it's the best definition, but what we are saying is that this is the definition that will guide us as we seek to be and make disciples at Cornerstone. Here's what it says on page 12. A, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. I'll put this up on the screen as well. You saw this when you walked in. A follower of Jesus who is learning from Jesus, trusting Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and helping others to do the same. Over the rest of our time this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk you through those four different elements of our definition of a disciple. Learning, trusting, becoming like, and helping others. And this will really shape, uh, hopefully shape our understanding of what it is that we're shooting for here as a church. So let's look at the first one. This idea of a disciple is one who is learning from Jesus. This one kind of hits at the most basic meaning of that word disciple. You could translate it student or learner. But perhaps, I don't know about you, but sometimes that idea of a student conjures up a specific type of schooling in our heads. Blackboards up at front, a bunch of people sitting in desks, receiving information that you'll then have to be able to synthesize and somehow put down on a test or maybe not do super well. So we hear that word student and you just immediately cringe and go, I don't know if I want to do that. I had to do it for a lot of years as a kid and never enjoyed it. Understand this, the type of student that Jesus was making is probably much more along the lines of what we would call an apprentice. Come with me. Come do with me. Yes, hear from me. Learn from me. But I'm after much more than just information acquisition. 
I'm calling you to work alongside me, learn from me how to do what I do and why I do it, because ultimately, I want you to do the same thing. A disciple is a learner from Jesus. The way that Mark, or that, that Mark 3 puts it, when Jesus first calls these 12 and designates them as apostles, apostle means sent one. He's going to send them to do something, but before he sends them to do something, he says, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me. Come with me for three years. Do what I do alongside me. Watch, listen, learn because I will send you out. But first, be with me. But that's the other key point on this one. Not only are we as disciples, learners from Jesus, apprentices with him, which has this idea of being lifelong learners. If we ever reach a point where we feel like, oh, I spent enough time doing that, I've arrived, we've gotten it wrong. We are and will always be learners from Jesus. But let's keep that in mind. We are learners from Jesus, he's ultimately the one that we're following. He's the one we're shooting for. That's why in the booklet we talk about how we are engaged in the mission to be and make disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves, not of another Christian teacher or personality, not of the person that you like to listen to on your podcast. They may help you be a follower of Jesus, but if at any point you flip it around and you become a follower of them, you've gotten it wrong. Christians get wonky and cultish when we start to give to fellow disciples the sort of allegiance and trust that belongs to Jesus alone. That's actually one of the things that Paul went after hard in the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, he calls out the people for part of the way that they were, they were dividing as a church was based upon their favorite teacher. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And Paul says, stop. That's not the point. He says to him, he says, was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? No. Keep your focus on the one who was crucified for you. The one into whose name you were baptized. We are learners from Jesus. Now we have much to learn from one another. Much to learn from those who've gone before us, from the history of this family of the church. But our eyes are fixed on Jesus himself, amen? So understand that this is our heart as your elders. Paul, uh, Todd talked about it last week from 1 Peter chapter 5. In the same way that Peter calls the elders of a church to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, just a couple of verses later, he says that's because Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd of all of us. So our heart as your elders is always to point you to Jesus, to say, follow us only in so much as we're following Jesus. Because ultimately he's the one that we're after. So that's the first part of this definition. This idea that we are learners from Jesus. I had the wrong verse up there the whole time, but there we go, we'll keep going. The first one, we're learning from Jesus. Now the second one, trusting Jesus. A disciple is one who is trusting Jesus. This one kind of encapsulates two ideas at the same time. Both the idea of faith in Jesus and of faithfulness to Jesus. It's this idea that yes, we absolutely see like in Ephesians chapter two, this glorious verse that was kind of the foundation of the Protestant Reformation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that we don't boast. We are absolutely 100% saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And yet, the New Testament is absolutely clear that this faith doesn't leave us the way we were before. This faith leads us to faithfulness, to seeking to live lives of obedience, not perfectly, but in, like gradually, this idea of what he goes on to say in verse 10. He says, our salvation is not the result of works, and yet the reason for our salvation is so that we can be his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So understand this, your salvation, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have trusted in him, is not because of your works, 
but it is meant to result in good works which God prepared beforehand so that you might walk in them. Faith in Jesus that leads to faithfulness to him. Does that make sense? Titus 2, Paul puts it really clearly in Titus 2 as well when he says this. He says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Yes, we are saved by grace alone. But God's grace not only saves us, what does he say it goes on to do? It trains us. The grace of God in which we trust not only saves us, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You may remember way back before COVID kind of disrupted everything. We were studying through the book of Romans together as a church. And Paul, again, encapsulates this idea so beautifully at the very beginning and the very end of Romans when he says it like this. He says, I've been given this grace and apostleship in order to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among the nations. And then as he's wrapping up the whole book in chapter 16, he comes back to it. He says, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, a faith, that an, an obedience to Jesus that flows from our faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Now again, not perfectly. The faith in Jesus that we're talking about here looks much more like the faith of Peter when he sees Jesus walking on the waves. And Peter goes, Lord, if that's really you and not some ghost like I think it is, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter trusts Jesus. And he gets out of the boat. And he walks on the waves to Jesus. And then he looks at the waves and he thinks this is crazy. And he thinks this is scary. And he doubts and he drops like a rock, right? And he cries out in that moment, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him back to the boat. And then he looks at him and he says, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? I love that moment. I love that moment. It's like, it's like the disciple Peter is getting a progress report from his teacher. You have faith, Peter. And you put that faith into action but it's little. You're on the right track, but you have room to grow. And Peter did grow, didn't he? But often through that stumbling failure, that stumbling putting his foot in the mouth, but throughout it, the trend of Peter's life was, I'm, I trust this Jesus, and I'm learning to be faithful to him. That's discipleship. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are trusting him and learning to be trustworthy. We have faith in Jesus, and that leads us to desire to stand before him one day and have him say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's that second idea. Disciples are learning from Jesus. We are trusting Jesus. And the third one, disciples are becoming like Jesus. Remember like he said back to Peter and Andrew at the beginning, follow me and I'm gonna make you into something different than you are right now. We're not trying to stay the same that we were before. As a matter of fact, I love what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter six, verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What's the purpose of our discipleship, our apprenticeship with Jesus? Jesus himself says, it's because I want to make you like me. And everyone, everyone, when they are fully trained, will be like their teacher. There is so much hope in this verse. Not just this crushing weight of I can never live up to him, but that sense of, okay, Jesus, as I learn to walk step by step with you, this is what you're training me for. This is what you're seeking to develop in me. 
Jesus' goal in calling us to be his disciples is to make us like him, like that apprenticeship, to watch him closely, to work alongside him, to watch what he does and why he does it and ask him questions. Why'd you do it that way? Why do you care about that? Why didn't you care as much about this? Because he's training us to be like him. This idea of becoming like Jesus involves both our imitation of Jesus and our transformation to be like Jesus. This idea of imitating Jesus, we've been hitting this one hard. Hopefully this one has gotten through over the last year or so. Remember back when we were in Philippians in the midst of the pandemic? We kept talking from chapter two where Paul says, have the same mindset that Jesus had. Treat others like he did. And then he says later on in chapter three, keep your eyes on those who walk according to that same example. Leading up to Easter time, we were going through this idea of learning to walk like Jesus walked. In 1 Peter, we saw this beautifully in chapter two where Peter says that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we might follow in his steps. We see this throughout the New Testament. This call to walk as Jesus walked. The purpose of discipleship is not just to trust in Jesus and tell other people that they should trust in Jesus, but it's to imitate him, to shape our lives, to trace our lives according to his example. But again, not just outwardly, not just based upon our appearances. The idea we see in scripture is that this imitation of Jesus flows from our transformation to be like him. One of the clearest places that we see this is in 2 Corinthians. There we go. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Gosh, I find so much comfort in this verse. This Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, God himself is at work in you and in me if you are a follower of Jesus to transform us into the image of Jesus as we focus our eyes on Jesus. Do you see that? As we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into that same image. The Spirit's the one who does this, not us, not our efforts. The Spirit is the one who transforms us to be like Jesus, but he doesn't do it all at once. He doesn't download Christ-likeness into us like Neo in the Matrix, just waking up one day and he can do Kung Fu. Instead, he says, he does this from one degree of glory to another. Gradually, over the course of our whole lives, we never stop being these learners, these apprentices of Jesus. One day the promise is that we will be complete. We will be fully trained. We will stand before Jesus at his return made completely new to continue walking with him. But our work today until that day is what Paul describes in Galatians 5. He says, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with him. Walk with him, walk by the Spirit. If his work in your life is to transform you like Jesus, seek to join him in that, not work against him. Seek to fix your gaze on Jesus, and not just in your own life, but what Paul goes on to say in Galatians is, you who are spiritual, when you see a brother or sister in Christ who is stuck and caught in sin, join the Spirit in his work in their life by seeking to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. This idea of disciples becoming like Jesus means we join the Spirit in his work of transforming us in our own lives and in each other's lives. And understand, that's why we gather like this. The reason why we gather as a church is to join the Spirit in his work in our lives by during this time on a Sunday morning, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We focus on his words, his example, what he said in his word. We praise him through song. We draw near to him through preaching, through prayer, through communion, all so that we might participate with the Spirit in his work of transforming us. 
This is why we gather in communities, live life together with other believers. The way the writer of Hebrews talks about it is that we gather together so that we can consider how to provoke each other toward love and good deeds, how to, how to bring this to life in our lives, how to serve one another and our community. This is why you think way back in the early days of the pandemic, we took so much time to focus on these spiritual disciplines. We cultivate personal spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and Sabbath rest and fasting so that we might join the Spirit in His work of transforming us. Because this is what it means to be a disciple. We're learning from Jesus, we're trusting Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus. And the last one, we're helping others to do the same. Please understand, this last one is not a tag-on. It's not an extra. It's not just an et cetera at the end to say, ah, oh, there's more we could have included, but it'll just capitalize on this. This is the whole point. As a disciple of Jesus, you are seeking to learn from Jesus, to trust him, to become like him so that you can help others to learn from him and trust him and become like him. We are called to follow Jesus so that he can make us fishers of men. It was to the disciples that Jesus gave the commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples. So again, understand this. If you want to pursue a future as a part of this family at Cornerstone, understand this. We cannot separate the idea of being disciples of Jesus from the command to make disciples of Jesus. If you want to be a disciple, it is to say, I want to actively pursue being a disciple maker as well. So the question that I have for you as we consider this, what it means to commit to one another in this mission to be and make disciples, is this a reality in your life? If you are a disciple of Jesus, however long or short you've walked with him, are you actively seeking to make disciples of others? Both calling others to trust in Jesus, to begin following him who aren't, and helping those who are followers to grow in their faith, to keep all that Jesus has commanded. Maybe you're hearing me today and the truth is that you're, you're not a disciple. And so my hope today is that this definition gives you a clearer picture of what it it means to be a follower of Jesus. I pray that today is the day that you, you say, okay, I'll take those first steps. I don't understand all of it. Good, good. Welcome to the club. None of us do. But we're learning from Jesus. We're trusting him and seeking to put that trust into action. We're not trying to stay the same and coddle our sins and our broken relationships. We're seeking transformation to become like Jesus. Join us. Let's help each other learn how to do this better. Let's help others do this. Two weeks from now, Todd and I are going to get up here and we're going to kind of team teach one Sunday to walk you through what, what you'll see in the, the membership booklet we call our discipleship pathway. The thing that we want to use at Cornerstone to guide us toward maturity as these disciples who make disciples. And as you'll see when we talk through that, Different of us will be gifted or effective or more passionate about certain parts of that discipleship process than others. And that's good because we all have different roles to play in this mission to be and make disciples. But I would just say to those of you who are followers of Jesus, remember what Jesus said in Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when they are fully trained will be like their teacher. This doesn't just speak about the change in our character. This speaks about the outcome of our lives. Our master is a disciple maker. And if he says, my purpose is to make you like me, his purpose is to make us makers of disciples like he is. If you believe in Jesus, that's not just a possibility. That's not just, a, oh, I wish I could get there. That is the purpose of your training. That's the reason that you follow Jesus. That's why we say in the membership booklet that every disciple is or will be a disciple maker. So from the outset, as we continue through this series, 
and we think about this commitment to be members at Cornerstone, what you need to know is that our purpose as your elders, along with the other pastors and leaders here, is to equip you to be disciples who make disciples. That is our primary mission. That may carry out in a lot of different ways, but we want to be like pit bulls with this one. You will not shake our jaws off of this one. The purpose, the mission of the church is to be disciples who make disciples. And our goal as your elders is to continually put that same mission before you as the primary calling in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. To learn from Jesus, to trust Jesus, to become like him, to help others to do the same. We're not gonna settle for anything less but we're not gonna to try to microwave this process either. You can't microwave disciples. Our goal is to faithfully walk by the Spirit, to participate with Him in the transformation in our lives and in each other's lives. And over the rest of the series, we'll unpack more of what that looks like. But again, remember what I shared with you at the beginning. There it is. Nope, this is, nope. Oh my gosh, I had way too many slides. I should have gone through it again. Membership is the commitment to be a disciple and to make disciples in partnership with the other members and elders of Cornerstone. That's where we're going to go. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. <sighs> Father, thanks so much for this morning. Get the chance to skip the rock across this thing. Lord, none of us have arrived. Jesus, I want to learn from you. I want to trust you and put that trust into action. I wanna become like you and I want to help others do the same. And I thank you from what I see in your word that that's what you want from me. That's what you want for us. Every student, every disciple, when they are fully trained will be like their teacher. Would you take us on that journey, Lord? Would you lead us? Holy Spirit, would you empower us? We thank you, we pray this in your name, amen. Now we get to hear from John, so take it away, buddy. Thanks, Dad. I'm gonna use that. Oh yeah, we'll take all my stuff off here for you. So thankful um, for Christian's eloquence and that I get to follow him today, so that's, that's awesome. But wanna, wanna just share a little bit about um, my testimony. We're doing that as elders and just so thankful for the opportunity, so. Um, I'll start out that, you know, I, I have always been around church. Um, when I was younger, going to church, my dad made sure we were in church every Sunday and, and going to vacation to Bible school and, and never remember, though, it being spoke about, about this relationship with Jesus. Never remember that. Never remember really the word salvation. I feel like we were there, but I, I really didn't understand anything about my faith, and that continued as uh, I got into early junior high school and my parents divorced, and... I remember that time, more spiritual confusion as my mom remarried and went into a totally different church organization that, praise God, I, I didn't know what I believed, but I knew that was not it. So I was thankful for that. Um, I also remember that time of uh, when my dad moved out to Simi Valley at that time, and my mom was still in uh, Virginia, North Carolina with, with my sister. I came out to Southern California because, you know, what junior high kid doesn't like sunshine 12 months out of the year? And and uh, the beach and all that. So uh, thankful for that as God used that time. Really, even though I was attending a church at that time in junior high school that I didn't connect with, I didn't really, um, I didn't have any friends that were really believers. All my friends were mostly unbelievers during that time. And, um, but I did, I did, uh, I was thankful for how God was working at that time, um, even though I really didn't really understand anything about my faith. Dad was a picture of humility and uh, just a godly character in my life, and uh, he continued to grow in his faith, and that's a whole other story. I'm going to limit my stories today, I promise you. Um, and I remember that time also, just the, uh, the honesty and transparency of my parents, sharing some of the details about what led to the divorce, and God used that um, completely. And also remember having two sets of friends. You know, I had my vacation friends on the East Coast. Had my school friends, uh, you know, in Simi Valley, and, and God used that as he taught me how to shape well into groups and mold well into groups and, and meet people, which, which I love doing. So, um, but I, I moved on to where I was in college now and uh, met this beautiful blonde who wanted to actually go on a second date with me. We actually went to junior high and high school together, and uh, eventually she agreed to marry me, which was awesome. 
Um, so Carrie and I have been married uh, for 23 years. And at that time, Carrie and I were both trying to figure out our faith. You know, we were both trying to understand, um, really find a church home, understand what we believed. And God was at work in a lot of ways. You know, I, he had put a, a close Christian brother in my life that um, was another picture of humility and uh, putting others before himself. And understanding that and seeing that um, was, spoke volumes. It spoke volumes as he was such an example. And at this time, I also, I had a plan. I was going to go to physical therapy school. I was going to get my orthopedic certification, and I was going to open up my own private practice. And that was my hardline plan. It was going to happen. Um, but I remember as we started attending Cornerstone, you know, as we came down from Fresno State, we were going to school, um, go Bulldogs. Um, we, uh, we remember we found out about this church, Cornerstone, started attending on weekends. We did laundry and that kind of stuff. And... Uh, we're so thankful. You know, we had heard the word preached expositionally, really for the first time ever. And word for word, just understanding God's truth more and relocated back down to see me in 99 and um, realized, though, although we were attending Cornerstone full time at that point, uh, 22 years ago, we, at that point, I was really just going through the motions, you know, getting head knowledge, attending. But um, I remember we were going through the book of Revelations and we were asked, you know, do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe this stuff? And I thought, I knew in my heart I did. I did believe it. I believe what God did through his son on the cross, that Jesus died for me, and that that's all I needed to know and understand was this perfect gift that God had given us. And it shook me up. I mean, I really at that point started connecting what I believed to how I was actually living my life. And so thankful for how God was at work. We just started doing Bible studies together and started growing a ton, and um, God continued to shake things up, though. At this point, I did have my own physical therapy practice. I had graduated physical therapy school, and I uh, had my orthopedic clinical certification. So my plan was still kind of in action and rhythm at that point, but God was going to shake things up. I started um, just talking about the Lord to my patients, and in physical therapy, you see patients, you know, a few times for a period of time. And I would have boxes of these books from Lee Strobel, A Case for Christ and A Case for Faith, if you all know those. And I would hand those out and talk to patients about what they were reading. And people were coming to the Lord, and I thought, God, this is what you want from me. I'm going to open up another physical therapy practice. You know, I love making tons of money. And um, I, um, at least that was my focus. I mean, that was my focus at the time. I was becoming very focused on the bottom line. And... Uh, I remember uh, it came about where we had a church partner in, in Uganda, as Cornerstone did, and we started with a golf tournament. And I had done golf tournaments. Buddies of mine and I had done fundraiser golf tournaments in our physical therapy program. So I, I thought, I could do this. I can help. And so started helping with this golf tournament to raise money uh, for this Ugandan team to go build an elementary school. And I was thinking, yeah, that's great. I'm going to raise this money, and they're going to go have a great time. And... Uh, I ended up, my heart got involved. I ended up joining that Ugandan mission and was there for two weeks with um, just a, a blessed team. And seeing all these Ugandans give themselves to the lie, give their lives to the Lord, and also just spending time with them in the evenings and explaining God's truth. And I just grew exponentially during that time. It was like another catalyst, you know. Um, and uh, at that time, I, I came home and I remember talking to Care about um, everything that had happened. And I was like, babe, I, I just think like, you know, we're going to have to make some changes. I mean, I was working from like 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. And, and uh, <laughs> I just remember her, you know, just this <laughs> beautiful woman in front of me saying, whatever God has for us, I'm in, you know. And uh, she was totally in. And, and she said, by the way, I'm pregnant. And um, I don't know if you've ever been so excited that you find yourself on the other side of the room, but that's what happened that time. And... Uh, Jackson was on the way, and he's been such a blessing, of course, all of our children. But um, five months later, we were heading out. Um, we were, felt so called to be part of this church plan. I had sold my business. I had sold, uh, we had sold our home. Um, you know, I had a job out there. We started joining this church plant team in Colorado, and, and five months later, we were driving out to Colorado with our pack suburban and a one, three, and five-year-old, and, and Carrie five months pregnant. And... Uh, God just worked it all out. You know, we, we worked um, out there, but also just carried a ton of uh, different hats in ministry, which was a blessing. Uh, to a point, you know, um, as God was continuing to dismantle the pride in my life, 
at that time, and, and not that I've arrived by any means, but um, you know, at that time we, we were wearing a lot of hats and I made about 35% of my salary that first year out there compared to what I had made the year before. And uh, we were totally blessed, but um, you know, during that time, during, due to some healthcare costs that were kind of unexpected, um, bills started piling up. And of course, you know, I was still Superman. I had to take care of it all. So I started working during the day. I worked weekends um, uh, in different areas of physical therapy. I worked overnight, you know, unloading UPS trucks. I was helping with men's ministry and helping with outreach and teaching one Sunday a month and overseeing all the church finances. And I was going to seminary and um, it just sounds ridiculous. It just does. Um, and it, it's not a pride thing. It's actually just the opposite. God was working on me because it was totally stupid and unhealthy, actually. And uh, so I remember getting chest symptoms and going to the doctor and coming home and telling Kara as we were talking about it. Of course, she was with me at the doctor. And she was very persuasive, very persuasive that things had to change as she's smiling now. Um, yeah, so that God was using her to rock and, and change my world at that point. Um, so I came home and I, we, you know, we let go of so many things, you know, I, things that just weren't necessary. And I started working less and still carrying a good amount in ministry and what a blessing it was as we learned so much about church family and about God's church body and um, again, about how big he is and um, so thankful for that. And so we, uh, we were out there another couple of years um, just continuing to grow in ministry and, and uh, just what God had for us and looking to him and I was less focused on my own self-guided efforts and more focused on the ministry he had for me. My life ministry with my wife, my children, our community. Um, so that was a blessing. And I remember um, about two years later, we, we started getting um, more involved with family ministry here in Simi. And God was calling us back. We, had, we were coming out here more than a couple times a month. And uh, God totally called us back to, uh, to Simi Valley at that time. And so we came back, this is like 2010, and, you know, we thought, we thought that's what God wanted for us. You know, we started uh, the move and we, we were here. We were in escrow in a home in Simi. I had a job. We were living with my parents kind of on an interim basis. And, uh, you know, we, we had our home sold in Colorado, but then it's a long story, but the buyers were lying to us. They, uh, we lost our buyers in Colorado. We were home. We were here, already moved, with all four kids. And um, it was just crazy times. We started, of course, our first thing at that time was to start questioning, is this what you want for us, God? And we were already were involved in ministry again here at Cornerstone Simi. And, and I remember um, just praying and we went to our real estate agent and said, you know, I told her the story and said, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to buy this home for many thousands of dollars less. And can you ask the sellers if they'll do that? <laughs> it sounds again ridiculous, but um, I remember asking her that and she said, you know, I've never had this question before. But, but I'll do it, I'll, I'll ask her, yeah. And um, so, uh, long story short, a lot of stories there, but I'm, I'm trying to limit stories. Um, I remember going that, that same couple days, I was at the mechanic with my Jeep, because you know, if you have a Jeep, either you're working on it or somebody else is. Um, so I, I took, took my Jeep into the mechanic and I'm telling the story. Now he was um, a part of the church family that I was at in high school and Kara was too that I wasn't really connected with, but he knew my family, and I, I went to him and told him the story, and he, he said, I'll be praying for you, brother. And, um, he, I didn't know it, but he had gone to another neighborhood party, met other church family, and that church family from that old church when I was in high school, you know, years before, went to another family that was related to the seller, and my real estate agent came back and said, the seller said that he's gonna sell the home for whatever John and Carrie Reed can buy it for. And... Uh, <laughs> Blown away, man. Just totally blown away by what God's um, confirmation was in that and just the blessing of um, just his provisions and always, God is always so good, you know. Um, so I remember that like it was yesterday. It was 11 years ago. And over the last 11 years, we have been so blessed by ministry. I feel like God has continued to use us prayerfully. I've uh, been an elder now for almost nine years. It, it just seems like a blink sometimes. Because um, it's been so awesome as Carrie's carried roles in leading ministries, large family ministries, and, and I've been so thankful for the roles that we've been able to serve in and love on this church body. I love this church body. Each and every one of you have, have, have loved our family so much, and we have been so blessed, man. And um, 
and just thankful for the sincerity of our body and the sincerity of our leadership and for our pastors. Um, thankful for the truth that we have and we can all celebrate together, you know. And thankful for the, the teaching that we have in this church, that as elders, we don't have to put out all these fires about what's coming on at the pulpit, <laughs> you know. We, we, uh, we were blessed by our pastors and um, so blessed by each and every one of you, but I could talk about that forever. Um, so honestly, we, we, we love you all and um, my life ministry continues and um, I am no longer a physical therapist, working as a physical therapist, although I still have license. Uh, I'm now leading healthcare teams for a large healthcare organization, um, oversee about 100 nurses and physicians. And um, the reason why I'm saying that is because uh, it's been a difficult, difficult last year and a half, two years, uh, manage a big service line for a healthcare company. And um, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of tragedy, God has been so good and thankful for that. Um, I am finishing up, finishing up right now. Um, and, uh, and so thankful for that. And, you know, in the, in about three weeks ago, one of our, our nurses, um, suddenly passed away and, um, you know, it was shocking, not COVID related, but totally, I mean, she was my age, you know, and had to go before all my teams and tell them about this tragedy that had happened. And they were all so devastated and, uh, you guys really think we all sit around and just cry in elder meetings. And, and honestly, it's not wrong sometimes. Uh, um, get this out, yeah. So, you know, I had to tell them about this total tragedy, you know, in the family, uh, um, this family. And um, I was so thankful that one of our, our physicians stood up and in the midst of all this with all my team said, John, will you pray for us? Will you pray for us? Will you pray for our family? And... Um, I was so thankful to be able to do that. So thankful to sit there and talk about God's grace and, it, and the hope we have in Christ. And um, just so thankful, so thankful. And I, I just wanna, you know, I, I, continuing, God is continuing to shape me through parenthood and through our marriage and uh, strengthen us and um, prayerfully show us um, his will and his way as we continue to lead here and, and serve at Cornerstone. And, um, I think that's, all, that's about all I'm gonna really share today, but I just wanna encourage you um, to look to him and uh, honestly, uh, just thinking about where we're headed and it's just, it's always on the forefront of my mind about um, who I'm influencing where and to look at your sphere of influence and, and to pray how you can lead those around you towards Christ as you acknowledge him in your lives. And I just wanna thank you for the time today. Thank you.